Good morning, good morning. I always like that transition time. I love hearing you guys talk so much. This is like the dead zone right here. Whoa. Everyone's afraid of me. Oh, yeah, you're right here. I apologize. It wasn't an insult. <laughs> well, hey, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is Bill, and I'm the interim pastor here for the time being, which uh, I'm excited about. I'm just excited about today. I'm excited about the season we're in. Um, I think it's just, in general, been an exciting season for us. I feel like transition seasons, it's always that time where you're like, okay, now it's time to put our money where our mouth is. Like, is this thing real for us? And this, to me, has been a really just amazing season where we just dig in. Dig into community, dig in to realize that church is not just about the person who's standing up front preaching, it's us. Church is family, church is people. Uh, and I feel like we've really had that unity the, this last season. And so let's take that forward. Let's take that into our next season as well. So I'm excited. I'm super pumped. Uh, I want to rock and roll into what we uh, uh, have to say today. So we've been in this series called Kingdom of Losers, right? Because Jesus says in order to uh, find your life, you need to lose it, right? You need to become the least and the lowest. If you want to be first, you actually need to be last. And so for us, it's really embracing that. Because in order to love everyone, you put yourself at the bottom, because you can love everyone from the bottom up. And so we've been exploring these parables, and uh, I, I just love it. And I, I, I also love the question, what are you rich in? Because when you read through all of Jesus' parables, so often he contrasts a rich person and a poor person. Uh, and we're going to be looking at another one of those parables today. Uh, but really just let that question permeate your thought process. What am I rich in? Right? Does anyone have any, anything? What are you guys rich in? Mike said he's rich in sarcasm, right? What are you guys rich in? Or what is someone around you? What did they say? Love. Love? It's good. Relationships, yeah, relationships, family, friends. It's good. What else? Second chances. Second chances? It's good. Kids. Kids. <laughs> Who is that? The Haineses? Oh, <laughs> there you go, kids. I thought it was the Haineses. They have like 27 kids. They need a TV show. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's also the contrasting question as well. What do you pour in? Right? It's really, I feel like so much of life, it's just asking ourselves that question. Where am I powerful? Where do I have power? Where do I have richness? Where am I powerless? Where do I find, where do I have poverty in my own life? And I think the parable that we read today, we find ourselves in both characters. But if we kind of stick with the richness side of things, I, I think often we lose sight of just how rich we are, just how much we have. Um, so uh, a month ago, me and Nicole, we got to go on a cruise for our 13-year wedding anniversary. Woo-woo, 13 years, crazy. We made it through the 7-year itch, the 12-year itch, we made it to 13 years. So we're excited about that. But, uh, so we got to go on a cruise without Manny, which was beautiful, right? No kids. Uh, it was amazing because... I love my son so much, but it's just getting out of the routine of life, right? You don't have to think about who's going to take Manny to daycare, who's going to make lunches, who's going to clean the house, who's going to do the chores, who's going to paint, who's going to do this. Who's like, you just get to sit and relax, and it was so nice and so beautiful. And so we're sitting on this cruise ship. We had this beautiful room. It had a balcony on it, and uh, we're watching TV as you do on a cruise. I don't know why the TV was on, right? I think we were just sick of just the amount of food and sun. We are like, we just need to get away. We need to take a nap. So the TV was on, and there was a commercial, and it said, big sale. It showed all these sale items, 
And then it said they were selling a cooler on sale for $200. And I looked at Nicole and I said, sale, $200. I said, is that how much they cost or are we just that poor? Right? Because in just in, right when I said that, are we just that poor, we just looked at each other and we just had to laugh at the ridiculousness of that statement because we, I said it as I'm sitting on a cruise ship in a balcony room <laughs> overlooking the Caribbean, literally the day before we're sipping pina coladas on a beach in Cozumel, Mexico, right? And I'm saying the words, are we just that poor, right? Because I think there's so often in our life where we don't feel rich. We just don't. Because a lot of us, if you're like me, uh, we live kind of month to month. We have to budget. We have to... We have to just barely kind of squeak through and, and, and be really careful with our things and our money. Uh, and so, so often in our life, we just, we don't feel like we are rich. Uh, but we have to understand the context that Jesus is coming from here. Jesus lived in a world where he literally is seeing people with his own eyes dying of starvation, probably on a daily basis. Uh, he's living in a world where there is poverty that we cannot imagine uh, living in Lincoln, Nebraska uh, in the year 2017. And so we have to understand when we're looking at the contrast between rich and poor, uh, we have to place ourselves first and foremost in the category of the rich. Uh, and so really for, for us, I, I feel like before we totally dive into this parable, what I want to do is I, I want to recap where we've been. Because this is actually week six already. So we're in week six. So the first week, uh, or are we in seven? No, 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 week six, yeah. So first week we did the parable of the lost son, parable of the prodigal son, right? That this son who he uh, squanders his father's inheritance and his father still welcomes him back, right? That somehow grace says that all we have to do is walk towards our father, walk towards Jesus, and he comes running towards us. That's faith. That's what defines faith. It's not what we do or how good we are. It's simply just posturing ourselves towards Jesus. And then week two, Mike Chaplin spoke on the parable of the workers in the field. And I still can't believe our resident right-wing capitalist, Mike Chaplin, preached on such a socialist issue. Okay? The fact that workers worked, no matter whether you worked in the morning or you worked five minutes before the dinner bell, you got the same amount of money. And why does Mike preach on that? Because Jesus isn't talking about economy. Uh, He's talking about faith. That no matter how hard you work, no matter how long you're working for, just because you work harder, just because you work longer, doesn't mean that God loves you more than the person who's been working for five minutes. Right? Parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector was week three, which kind of just furthers that idea that it's not about your morality. That this Pharisee who had lived this good life or what he thought was a good life said, God, thank you that I'm not like that evil tax collector Uh, And the tax collector simply says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, because it's not about our morality that is saving us. It's the posture of our heart. Uh, And then two weeks ago, we did the parable of the rich fool, which was simply, don't put your faith in the things that you have. Don't put your faith in all your money or your possessions, because eventually those things are going to be gone. And what are you going to be left with? And then last week, we talked about the parable of the treasure and the field and the pearl, which is the kingdom This thing of grace and faith, it's worth everything. It's so good and it's so sweet that we would be willing to give up everything in our life to have it. See, it's it's an idea of losing. 
losing everything. The prodigal son, it's lose our addictions and turn back to, turn back to Jesus. The workers is uh, lose your ego, right? Lose your ego. Lose this idea that you think that you have to earn it. Uh, the Pharisee, lose your religion. Lose the fact that you think that it's about your morality or how much you know that's going to put you in right standing with God. Uh, the rich fool, lose your money. Uh, the parable of the treasure in the field, lose everything, right? That this kingdom we actually get to be a part of, it's kingdom of losers, that we lose our life so that we can find it. So now I think we're ready. We're in the place where I think we can step into this next parable that I want to talk about today, which is the parable of the rich man and a man called Lazarus. Let me read it for you guys. Parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died, and he was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in torment in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. Right? We get this theme in a lot of Jesus' parables where he's really, really harsh on rich people. He's really hard on them. We see this over and over and over again. And that's why it's kind of hard to place us in that position where we say, I am rich. Because then all of a sudden, we, we got to tell ourselves, actually, Jesus is talking about me, and he's talking about you. And that's, it's not easy for us to hear. Uh, but before we totally kind of dig into this parable, on the front end, I think a lot of times we get lost uh, in this when we read this, because we think that what Jesus is trying to do is give us theology about the afterlife. Uh, when that's not actually what Jesus is intended to do. Jesus is not giving us an idea of what life is like after death. Jesus is telling us how to live here and now today. This is the point of his parable. This is the point of his stories. He's trying to get us to change the way we're thinking and to change the way that we're acting today. Because actually the setting that Jesus has used uh, in this parable, this contrast, uh, it's a very common story in his day. So they've actually found uh, some documents, and archaeologists have found back in, uh, the Egyptians had this folk tale. 
In this Egyptian folktale that they found, they found that there was, a, there was a father and a son. And the father commented on how grandiose this rich man's funeral was and how meager this poor man's funeral was. And then somehow, I don't know how, but this son takes his father to the underworld and says, uh, look, father, the rich man is living in luxury. The poor man is living, in, or the rich man is living in torment and the poor man is living in luxury because the poor man's good deeds outweighed his bad. Right? So that Egyptian folktale actually ended up in Jewish lore. And Jewish lore, they found this in about six or seven different places where there was a story uh, about this man named bar uh, And bar was a, he was a, he was a, uh, he was a rich publican, which is a rich uh, tax collector. So, so he's this rich man, and then there's a poor scholar. And it's, the sim- it's kind of the same thing. He has, he has one good deed, and because of that, he gets this grandiose funeral. And then the poor man gets a simple, the poor scholar gets a simple burial. And then the poor man's friend has a dream where he sees the poor man living in luxury, but the rich man uh, he's living in luxury by this stream, but the rich man doesn't have access to this stream. And so Jesus is simply, in this moment, he's telling a story that the people would have already known, this story. Jesus is giving them a setting that they're very familiar with. In our context, it's, it's actually very similar if, if I was to say, two guys walk into a bar. Right? It's the setting. But okay, you don't care about the two guys walking to the bar. You care about what is about to be said. Uh, in fact, I was reading this, uh, this commentary, and it said, In this parable, Jesus was using a familiar folktale and adapting it to a new purpose by adding an unfamiliar twist at the end of it. This parable is not theology. It is a vivid story. Such stories were common in Jesus' day. They are found in rabbinical sources and even in Egyptian papyri, right? So this is not just my idea. This is what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to give us a story about what's happening in our life here and now. So do we have ears to let us hear? Because Jesus, a lot of times in his life, he doesn't give commands all the time, like do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. He doesn't give us this list of here are our 10 commands to follow. He tells us parables because parables are for those who have ears, let us hear, Are you hearing? Are you listening? Is this story shaping you? And then what is our response to it? Because this parable, once once we get to that point that, okay, what is Jesus trying to tell us? It's genius. It's beautiful. I love this parable. So first, I think we have to ask ourselves a question. Who is the audience? Who is the audience that Jesus is speaking to? And we find it three verses before. In verse 14, it says, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this, and we're sneering at Jesus because Jesus had just told them a parable and then they're, they're angry at him. And then Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of other, but God knows your hearts, right? And so Jesus is trying to tell them another parable to try to dig into their heart, to try to get them to realize you are this rich person. And then we even find this in uh, the very first line of this parable, the very first line, if we, uh, if we jump to the next slide, it says, um, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day, right? So the word that's actually used for who was dressed, it actually could be translated as perpetually dressed, 
So dressed every day in purple and fine linen. It's like, okay, so, but why does he make a point about that, that purple and fine linen? So fine linen, it's a symbol of, uh, of richness, of wealth, but also purple. Purple, uh, throughout the scriptures, we find this in the book of Joshua, purple is a color of royalty. And even if you, if you look through Exodus, when Moses is writing about the priestly garments that the priest should wear, uh, they wear purple. And so there's a certain class of people that were perpetually dressed in purple and fine linen and uh, lived in luxury every day. Uh, and that group of people and that person would have been uh, the high priest of Israel, the high priestly class. And the high priest in that time was this man named Caiaphas. And so more likely than not, Jesus in this moment, in this one line, he's sort of subversively saying he's talking about the high priest. He's talking about the head honcho, the guy who goes into the temple, the, the inner room of the temple, the Holy of Holies, one day a year on the Day of Atonement to bring the blood, to sprinkle the blood, to cleanse that room so that God can dwell in that room. This is the man, the high priest that Jesus essentially is calling out. Right? We begin to see why Jesus made people so angry and why eventually they grew so mad that they yelled, crucify him. And if that word, that name Caiaphas uh, sounds familiar to you, is that's the man who ends up convincing Rome and Pontius Pilate to crucify Jesus. Right? So Jesus essentially is calling him out in this moment, supposedly, right? So essentially he's talking to a group of Pharisees and he's saying, this is your leader. This is your leader. And then you begin to see what happens is your leader is not connected to Abraham. And to be, some, to be the leader of a Jewish people who's not connected to the blessing of Abraham is one of the biggest insults that you can give. Uh, I love the way Jesus teaches. I love, uh, I just love what he does because like even in that moment you think about it, put yourself in that situation. You're one of Jesus' disciples kind of sitting behind him and he says this line and you know that this is who he's talking about. It's almost like in that moment you're like, oh, dang, like Jesus is calling you out, right? Oh, I love it. So Jesus is calling him out, and then we get to the next line. What is it? It says, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Uh, what's interesting is this is probably, I'm pretty sure this is the only parable that Jesus actually uses a person's name. A lot of times he uses third person, but this is the only time he uses a person's name. And he ended up raising a man named Lazarus from the dead which is really interesting. This story is actually told before he raises Lazarus from the dead. So you can't really say, oh, this is a thing that actually happened to Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus is very typical of the normal Jewish person in that day and age, right? Is when you think about it contrasting to this high priestly class and you think about the normal Jewish person, you think about the world that they lived in is a lot of times they, as a Jewish people, they found it such a hindrance from this high priestly class that they wouldn't even give them spiritual crumbs from their table, right? They would be begging outside the door, but they wouldn't even give them their crumbs, right? And so Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, uh, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, which is really gross, you got to be really depressed to allow dogs to come and lick uh, your sores. 
Let's go to the next line. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side, leaning into Abraham, leaning into his chest. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Let's go to the next slide. Did I forget to put it up there? Yeah. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Do you see what just happened there at the end? Uh, I didn't, I've never caught this before until I talked to Jeff Miller about this passage of scripture. Think about this, right? This man, this rich man, is still demanding, is still thinking that Lazarus is meant to serve him. He's still in that place where he's thinking, send him to do my bidding, right? I'm, I'm in pain and I need this man to serve me. Like this man is such a winner. He thinks that he is the top. He thinks that he is the winner and Lazarus is the loser. And so the loser serves the winner, right? He's still stuck in that mindset that, that Lazarus is meant to serve him, See, Jesus in this moment, he's trying to tell us, he's trying to show us the ridiculousness of this situation, the ridiculousness of this way of thinking, right? The ridiculousness of the attitude of the advantage taking uh, advantage of the disadvantaged, right? And you know what he never does in this parable is he never asks Abraham how he can be relieved from his place of torment. He never asks that one time. See, this story, what Jesus is trying to tell us is he's trying to get us to that place where he says, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Because the rich man's whole life, he never opened his eyes to the person that was begging outside of his gate. Because when we think about what love truly is, love is when we actually learn to open our eyes. Have you ever uh, been driving down a country road and you pass by a group of cows? What do the cows do? The cows hear your car. They might moo, maybe. But the cows hear your car and almost every time they look up and then they stare at you, pass, and then you pass, and then what do they do? They go back to eating, right? There's nothing there. There's not much going there, right? They're cows. They're pretty dumb. Uh, but they, they, they look at you, but they don't see you. I worked in customer service for two years. People look at you, but they don't see you, right? You're just a machine. You're just someone who scans their groceries. You're just an inconvenience that is going too slow for them because they got a lot to do, right? Love is when we actually learn to open our eyes and see someone. Uh, I have a friend who, he calls me probably every single week and says, there's this guy, there's this girl, there's this mom, they need help, they need X, they need Y, they need Z, can you or can Mosaic kind of, can we partner together to try to make something happen? Every single week, it's gotten to the point where it's, it's just a joke because anytime he wants to hang out, he texts, but whenever I see him calling and his name pop up on my phone, I literally answer it, okay, what do you need now? <laughs> right, because he sees people, he sees them. He doesn't just look at them. He doesn't just say, oh, man, that stinks. But he sees them. And he says, I want to step into that with you. I want to, I want to journey with you. Like, let's, let's figure this thing out together. 
Uh, and what if we had that attitude as we walk through life? What if, what if instead of being like mindless cows where we look at people, right? What if we actually began to see people? What if we as a church began to step into that reality? What if the, our whole church, the hundreds of people who call Mosaic their home, our church family began to see people, to truly see people and to truly love them, not for who we want them to be, but who they are in their least, their lowest, and their most broken moments. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. That is where we are rich. That is where we have power. That is where Jesus is calling us to give away our power. Uh, But when we read this story, I think a lot of us uh, in here, we can also resonate with Lazarus's side of the story too. Because we, uh, you know, think about it. If you were living in a place in this world where you were struggling with starvation, because those places exist, this story would communicate so much hope to you. Think if you lived in a country that is entirely war-torn, which is there's places in this world that exist like that. But I think that we don't have to live in starvation. We don't have to live in a war-torn country to resonate with uh, Lazarus. Because I'm sure, right, there's people in this room where you feel like you are on the brink of a nervous breakdown. Or maybe you're on the brink of bankruptcy. Or maybe you've lost your job and you're losing hope. Or maybe you're just stuck in the midst of just mourning a loss of someone you love so deeply. Or maybe you're just in this place of deep depression or sickness. Uh, This story is meant to communicate hope to us. Uh, Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't always offer us hope here and now in this life. Because Lazarus, right, his story ends in him in poverty, where dogs are licking his sores and he dies that way. Uh, But Jesus is trying to give us a hope that someday that sorrow will end, that someday comfort will come, uh, and we can look forward to that. We can have a hope for that here and now. Uh, and, And the scriptures call that a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so for this story, what it's really trying to teach us is where you are rich, how can you give? And where you are poor, how can you receive? Because I'm sure there's people who feel like Lazarus in here today. And you need someone. You need people to comfort. You need an Abraham that you can lean into. And I would say let, let, let us, let people see that. Let us see that. Let your friends see that. Let people around you see that. Be vulnerable enough to allow people to journey uh, with you. Let's close out the parable. Closing it out, it says, Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him. See, again, he's demanding Abraham said Lazarus, which is ridiculous. Such a ridiculous way of thinking. To my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. We can go to the next one too. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And essentially, this is, this is the third thing that Jesus is really trying to communicate to us today, which is they have all this, and even if someone rises from the dead, they're not going to believe. 
Jesus in this moment, he's communicating to this group of Pharisees this prophecy about his own life. That even if someone comes back from the dead, it's still not going to change the way you're thinking. It's still not going to change your addiction to power, your addiction to wealth, your addiction to richness. It's not going to change those things because you have Moses, right? If you read through the Old Testament law, what it consistently communicates over and over and over again is love God and love people. But, but it actually addresses very specific people groups. It says love the orphan, love the widow, and love the foreigner who lives among you. Why? Because the scriptures in the Old Testament and Moses consistently say the way that we love God is through loving the most vulnerable. It's through loving the powerless. And so if you don't understand that now through the writings of Moses, you're never going to understand it, even if someone rises from the dead. And he's given this prediction. He's given this prophecy about his own life. And this is why Jesus tells this story. Because you can get all the evidence in the world and you still won't believe because power and winning feels good. It feels great. So for us today, uh, as we want to live these li- this life that is surrendered to Jesus, uh, what is our response? It is simply to say, to embrace Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Why does Jesus resurrect from the dead? So that we can step into that today. That Jesus offers us that life, that we die to ourselves so that Jesus can live through us. We can step into that resurrection today. And when we experience the kingdom and when we experience, uh, when we experience that, we are able to love the powerless. Because we all find ourselves in this story. I'm sure every single one of us in here, we can think of times where we've stepped over Lazarus. Or we've walked by Lazarus. But the gospel, it gives us, like John said, we're rich in second chances, right? That's what the resurrection does is that we can say, Jesus, I want to repent from that. I want to move away from that way of thinking. And I want to move towards your kingdom, your kingdom where the most vulnerable, the least, the lowest, the losers are loved. And so today, where are you rich? Where can you give your richness? And then where are you poor? Where do you need to allow people and let people to see you in your most vulnerable place? And who in your life do you think and suspect uh, needs to be seen? Would you pray with me today, Mosaic? Jesus, I thank you that that you who are willing to live this courageous life, that you are able to speak into powerful, uh, into the powerful, powerful people, powerful systems, uh, and we crucified you for it. Jesus, in this room, me and everyone that's in the seats here today, We love our winnings. We love our richness. We love the things that we have. And God, I pray today that we have the courage to declare that they are yours. Jesus, we repent and we turn away from all the times that we've stepped over Lazarus, all the times that we've walked past people in our life that need to be seen. 
And Jesus, we know that you forgive us because on the cross, your blood was shed so that we can be cleansed, so that we can walk forward uh, guiltless, shameless, and there's no condemnation. And then we get to step into your kingdom. (laughs) We get to step into this way of living that is selfless, and we have this hope that if every person in the world lived this way selflessly for others, the world would be a better, beautiful place. And that is what your kingdom looks like. And so, Jesus, I pray for your kingdom to come in Lincoln, Nebraska, as it is in heaven, that we can get a foretaste, we can get a glimpse in our everyday life. And so very specifically, God, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now, in our minds and in our hearts, you will reveal people in our own life that need to be seen. People in our own life that we need to reach out to. The people that we've been ignoring that we will choose to actually engage and to share a burden. God, for everyone in this room that is just living in torment, they feel like Lazarus where... Even if dogs came to lick their wounds, they wouldn't have the energy to move. For those in the room that find themselves in that place, Jesus, I just pray for your peace and your comfort just to overwhelm them. Pray for your spirit to come and just to give them this supernatural comfort and hope. And I pray that they have the courage to allow others to see them so that others can step into their pain, step into their life and just simply walk with them. Jesus, we thank you so much for your good news. So much for uh, the good news that we don't have to go through life alone, that you promise your presence, you promise that you'll be here with us, you promise us eternity. And Jesus, we thank you that we can step into that here and now today. And so, Jesus, we give our hearts and our lives and our souls and our everything to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Mosaic, as we go, let's just open our eyes. Open your eyes, right? Open your eyes to the people all around you that need to be seen and allow yourself to be seen by others. Uh, That's it. Man. I'm just so excited, so glad that we get to share these moments together. Thank you, Mosaic. I love you. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week.